you don't need to have it all to have everything. You don't need a whole lot. The thing is with people's lives, everybody's recipe is different. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. This is Leslie Crew. I'm a Canadian writer and I soon hope to be known down in the United States because stories are the same everywhere. I find everyone has the same heart and we're going to discuss that today in the program, Sylvia and me, and I can't wait. Thank you. Leslie, I am so honored to have you here. As you said, you're very well known in Canada. In fact, you've yes. won some awards and I believe your newest book, Recipe for a Good Life, um, has already won awards and Book of the Year. And this is your American debut. And I love yes. it. And this is your 15th novel. And I want to read something that I found on your website that you wrote, which says, I love the ordinary moments. I celebrate everyday things. They are too often lost in the race for something grand. I hold dear our humdrum routines. And and that's it. I mean, your book, and I, I've read about your other books, which as I told you before, when we first met a few minutes ago, I can't wait to read the other 14 because the characters, um, the humor, the the love, the um the women, the voices of the women. Uh, I just find it all absolutely fantastic. As you know, you know, the podcast, I have conversations with women and you in your books have conversations with, with really neat uh, female characters. Uh, I want to start off with where, how did you start writing? Because I know that you didn't start from what I've, I've read. You didn't start writing until your children were out of the house. And you probably started writing about 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I wrote my first novel in 2003. So I was, um, I think I was, it was published. I think I was 50 when I started. Okay. So I'm okay. a late bloomer, but I think it was, it was a wonderful time to start. And I get such a kick out of, you know, young writers say, I have to read, I have to write my novel by the time I'm 30. I'm thinking, oh my God, you're such a baby. You have no idea. I mean, how fortunate you are to live long enough to be able to write a book that resonates with people. You don't know enough. But that's a terrible thing to say, I guess. But No, but you haven't experienced. um, Yeah. Look at all the memories because... I know the inspiration for a lot of this comes from your mother and your grandmother. I mean, in your thirties, can you, you could write different (laughs) things because there are, you know, we're not saying not to write, but it's never too late to start doing what you've wanted to do, what you have a passion or you even just want to try and you never know you really have that passion. Well, you never know because I did everything the wrong way and it turned out absolutely right. So there you go. You don't have to know everything. Never took a course, never took, a, you know, read a book, never did anything. And uh, I just had a story that I needed to get off my chest. I really think my books are long-winded diaries. Um, you know, I loved I loved English. when I, Well, my mother was a kindergarten teacher and she had us at the library before we knew how to read. 
So all my life, I was surrounded by books. I love the feel, the smell, the crinkle of the library books, the the pencil. Well, I'm so old that they used to have pencils to mark the date, you know, the little date thing on the end of the pencil for the library books. I just love that world. I took English in university. Um, I should have been a librarian is what I should have been. But um, anyway, life got in the way. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so I, I, but I always, um, whenever I had something I was worried about or thinking about, I would always write it down. Just even if it was a couple of sentences, because I find if you write something down, it sort of leaves your body and then you're able to look at it from a distance and think, oh my gosh, is that what I think? Is, is that how I feel? Um, and you're able to look at it sort of outside yourself. And uh, so I've always sort of um, practiced that. And I can remember because I moved from Montreal to Cape Breton uh, as a young wife and, and mother, I didn't have family around me. And I used to write letters home uh, to my family. And my mother would say, Leslie, you sound just like Irma Bombeck. <laughs> because I love it. I know, like I loved her. And what did she write about? She wrote about ordinary moments, ordinary things that everybody uh, can recognize, see themselves in. That's what I was doing. I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but that's what I've done since. I'm just writing about things that either I'm thinking about that are happening and around me and that I want an answer to. Um, when I first started, um, yeah, my daughter was in the last year of high school and I just went downstairs. It's, it's kind of a long convoluted story how I started, but I just wanted to write a story. We had lost our little boy, uh, Joshua, uh, to sudden infant death um, like almost 40 years ago. And I, we had a little boy, Paul, he was three, four, and then Joshua died. And then we went on to have a little girl. And, but I, because I was busy raising children in the midst of this horror, I, I never really got to process the whole situation. It was just like, it's all, you just have to move on, you know, you have to go on, but I couldn't get past it. And, uh, and then because it was such a sudden, I mean, sudden infant death is just, you know, the first symptom is death. There's nothing that you can prepare yourself for. And so I spent years and years and years, um, going down to visit I was just getting really sick of looking at uh, Joshua's name written in granite because that was dead to me that was hard to me and I thought I need this little boy to come to life again because I 20 years later I lost my mother suddenly on an operating room table so that suddenness brought everything back and I knew I was in trouble the day I was taking my daughter to the movies with her friends and they were laughing and I was laughing with her and I realized I, was, I had tears streaming down my face when I looked in the mirror and I realized, okay, I'm in trouble. So I went to get help and they found out everything made sense. Once they told me that I had PTSD, that I was so, was, you can't, when your child dies in the safest place that they can be like in their crib, in their home with the people who love them, you just can't get over that. So when Sarah came along, I was terrified to let her out of the house. So I'm really lucky that she was a very independent little girl. And so I didn't completely destroy her because I would have, because I didn't want her to go anywhere or, or do anything. And uh, so it just was all bundled up into all of this loss. And I thought, okay, I don't want Joshua to be um, 
dead anymore. I need to, to put him in a book. I need him to live in a world where I can get at him, where I can see him, where I, if I'm missing him, I can go and visit him and he's going to be a little boy and I can read him stories and put him to bed and and just to write his name over and over again, because that's the thing you, you know, with a baby, they have a, you have a new name and you're so excited and then suddenly you don't get to use it anymore. So this way, with Relative Happiness, the very first book, I was easing the book. Now, the mother, it's, it's just a very small part of the book, but everything I wanted everybody to know about losing a child is in that book. Everything I needed to know for myself is in that book, um, but I couldn't go through it again. So the sister loses a baby, not the main character. The main character has a little boy named Joshua who lives and is a real sweetie pie. So I got to live that over again so that's why I wrote I had no intention of ever having it published I wasn't interested in anybody reading it this was just for me so that's what I did and I've always done and I've done that since I write for me Leslie doesn't matter if I have an audience you first of I mean? all so that's how I got started one of one of the things that I want to do is thank you so much for telling that story because there are so many people who think that there should be a time frame on grief, on processing. They don't understand what PTSD is. It's trauma, the trauma that you went through. And thank you for telling that story because I have come across so many people who say, well, it's been this many years. It's been that many years. Haven't you, you know, and like you said, you were busy. Look what you did. You raised a family um, and you didn't, you hadn't processed it. You hadn't had the time. Um, so you did when you were ready to. Well, the funny thing is, you know, like a friend of mine said, gee, Leslie, obviously, obviously I never would want anybody to ever go through this. But I did go through it. And in the end, look what happened. It's because of that little story. And I just wanted to get it down on paper. I have now 16 books and I'm talking to people all the time. People write to me and they recognize themselves. Like I never expect, I, I never dreamt that anything like this would happen. But this is what happened because of him, because of his little story. So his life you know, might have only been 10 weeks old, but his life was very, very important. And he's always with, I'm very glad I was his mother. I mean, somebody asked me once, would I rather he, I'd never had him than to, you know, go through the loss. And I said, not in a million years. Not in a I'm million so years. I was his mom and he was mine. And this is what's happened since. That none of this would have happened. Like, I don't think it would have happened. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, you don't know, I don't but... But no. it doesn't matter. Your little no. boy lives through yes. your book, which right. has touched so many people and mm -hmm. has kind of spiraled into this is book mm -hmm. number 15. And this book gives a lot of people the the um, the go ahead, uh, the permission. Uh Big words don't come to me anymore. Word <laughs> retrieval, and, and I'm and I'm not going to edit this because it happens to everyone, you know. But but this particular book, recipe for a good life, gives people permission to take a look at their lives to to see what friendship and family is all about. Um, 
you have this wonderful character, Kitty, who very much lives kind of life like the life you lived as far as where you lived. She lived in Montreal. She was having a great life. Montreal, people haven't been there. It's kind of like New York City in, in, in a Canadian way. I love Montreal. I have relatives there. And then she is a writer. And this book takes place in the 50s, 1955. So I just want to quickly say that this woman, Kitty, is a very successful writer. She writes murder mysteries under a male non of My French teacher never wanted me to speak a word of French. <laughs> and I had him for six years. And her, she winds up with writer's block. And she, her editor sends her to where you live, Kate. Homeville, yes. Is, is there Homeville. a better name in the world than Homeville? <laughs> so we're going to talk about Homeville and, and the women there and the people she meets and the characters and so on. But why did you pick the 50s? You know what? I love, uh, I love writing historical um, pictures. Um, books as well in the 50s too because I think it's just so too glamorous and what I love is that everybody smoked back oh yeah <laughs> which is perfect because there's nothing better than like having a prop for for a character right the character can just you know blow smoke up in the air or stub the cigarette down if they're annoyed or you know just it's wonderful if one, or they all have phones that really you can hang up on somebody with a real click. Slam! Oh yeah, <laughs> perfect. You can't do that now. Or what I loved were the purses. Do you remember your mother and grandmother's purse with the little the little clasp? But yes, you know they would shut the purse like, but and, and it would make a sound. It would make that sound, you know, like they were going to town and they were going to. So I love that instead of zippers. So just silliness it just I and I wanted it to be at a time when it really I mean this is a rural area like we live in the middle of nowhere but in the 50s it was even worse there weren't a lot of uh, paved roads even so when she comes from Montreal she's never driven on gravel before she has no idea where she's going she thinks oh my god if something happens to me I'm never nobody's ever going to hear me and of course it ends up that she meets exactly who she should meet. And these people will inform her in no uncertain terms that you don't need to have it all to have everything. You don't need a whole lot. The thing is with people's lives, everybody's recipe is different. She's got to figure out what she can take from Montreal what and what she needs from Montreal and what she can take from Cape Breton and what she learns here and figure out her life from there. And of course, one of the characters she meets is Wallace who actually loves to bake, which a lot of men didn't back in the 50s. So this is hence the word recipe. He's uh, he's very helpful as a friend and someone that she can confide in. And uh, just that everybody that she meets has an impact on her. And she didn't realize, she thought she had it all together in Montreal, didn't realize she really didn't have a life in Montreal. Her, her husband is a well-known actor, but he's off doing his own thing. She's estranged from her dad. Uh, she doesn't really have a family. And then she comes across a woman who has 10 children, 30 grandchildren, and 17 great-grandchildren. And she, this woman has it all. She does, she lives in, in a, you know, not great little house, but so what? She's got everything she needs. With that. In fact, the woman you're talking about, Bertha, Bertha uh, yes. <laughs> says life is like a recipe. What do you want in your life cake? 
What ingredients do you need to make it rise and taste wonderful? Sometimes the simplest recipe is the best because the more you add to the mix, the more things can go wrong. And I love that. Um, you know, Kitty comes from, as you said, she thinks she has it all. She's got writer's block. She's estranged from her dad. She realizes once she gets there, her marriage is, it, it's just, it, it's not that it, it, nothing moved in the marriage. Yeah. And so she meets these characters and the characters are such that you can picture them in the 50s. You can kind yes. of say, wow, um, because not everyone would realize that this exists today in different formats. But I love that you have it in the 50s because in the 50s, women weren't supposed to do so much. They weren't supposed to write mystery uh, novels. Um, they weren't supposed to be out on their own. Her husband wanted her, you know, back home. Couldn't imagine her going away, although he used to go out on, on movie shoots um, on sets and be gone for weeks. But when she says she's leaving for two months, he's like, you can't do that. Who's going to make me dinner? <laughs> and that just leads into totally recipe for a good life. So I want to also talk about, we, we know now that Cape Renton, um, Homeville, where you live, yes. is in a rural area. Yes. But that doesn't, sometimes, I know coming from a city, rural, you think of it as being sparse, not having people close to you. That sort of gets totally, not sort of, but gets totally debunked in this book because the people that are there are closer than if you were living in a city where you really don't know your next door neighbor. Exactly. Well, when you do live in a place like this, you depend on each other and you have to. I mean, we had a really horrible uh, hurricane last year called Hurricane Fiona that just left this place devastated. And um, our power was out for two and a half weeks. It was just, it was really a, a, a bad time. And, but we all, you know, chipped in and we all did what we had to do. Climate change is, is affecting everybody. Now it's not just, you know, something that happens like far away. Um, the, world, the world is, maybe that's why I keep going back to the 50s in some way and it's a lot simpler. The world is pretty scary at the moment. And I think I like to dip my toe back in a time where it seems like things were a little simpler or, um, and maybe they weren't, but I, I don't know. Um, just a time that I, I'm looking for comfort, I guess. And it's comfortable for me to remember. I mean, I was born in 55, so that's the only reason I picked 55. Um, but I remember my grandmother and my grandmother's house and the phone with the party line. Um, you know, and everybody's our ring. My was grandmother had one also. I know, my gosh. And there was always somebody who listened in. I mean, that's universal. I get it was so funny. I've been doing all these podcasts in the States, and people say, Well, how how is the story going to connect with someone down in you know the Midwest? And so oh, well, easy. You know, I I thought, my gosh, well, I'm assuming that uh, down in the United States they have dysfunctional families like they do in Canada. <laughs> 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 oh, I think so. <laughs> oh, I think. 
no, no one has a monopoly on that. But like I said, the human heart is the same everywhere. A story can take place anywhere. And in this day and age, when we've all seen Netflix films from everywhere around the world, the world seems a little smaller. <laughs> so I think it's a, it's a good thing. Like I love, I love this little place, but I love, you know, hearing about stories from everywhere else. I don't know why other people wouldn't. I'm, well, I don't know how anyone would even ask you that question. That's a bizarre question because, oh my word, books are supposed to take you to places, Somewhere. and then and then you're you're able to say, well, wait a minute, that's happened here. I've done yeah. that. I mean, come on, she's a writer with writer's block. She goes someplace where she didn't even realize that she was being sent to the outskirts of wherever, according to her, and she meets wonderful people. Yeah, That can happen any place and happens every place. And the U.S. is one of the biggest places where that can happen. We have rural whatever all over, uh, you know, so give me a break. Um, <laughs> but It's true. I mean, people do. They think, I don't know why. I don't want to constantly read stories that take place in my area. I want to read about something that happens somewhere else. But the thing is that people, I think they're worried that maybe people wouldn't understand. See, my stories, like I say, are all very, whatever's on my mind is what I write. Like Bertha having all those grandchildren. I finally became a grandmother at the age of 65. I finally I, became a grandmother at the age of 70. So give me yeah. a break. It's never too late. It's never too late. Oh my God. It's just so absolutely fabulous. So she was the first character I thought of because being a grandmother is my whole world at the moment. And I'm thinking, oh my, you know what? I thought I loved my kids. Oh. But apparently, apparently I didn't. <laughs> Get over that. <laughs> Compared to the love I have for these two little girls is just unbelievable. So that's, this. these are the interests that I have. This is what I write about. And then people recognize them because who doesn't recognize being a grandmother? If you're a grandmother, you just know. So they would like this book. They would, you know, because that's such an integral part of it. Um, so, yeah, I don't, there's no magic uh, formula as to what I come up with as far as stories. It's whatever's on my mind, whatever's going on in my own head. That's what all, all I write about. And using all the stories from like the spoon stealer. That's a, that was a big one up here because that was a, that was a story that was, took place from my grandfather and his siblings who two uh, brothers that died in World War One, um, and the, their, their their sister, and it, it made a fabulous story. Um, and I love that story too because the dog talks. I love so, it. <laughs> I was I was dying to do one where the dog talked, and I couldn't didn't wasn't sure if readers were going to go along with me, but oh my gosh, they did. And Vera has become everybody's favorite character. So you can play around. People are very kind. <laughs> like my, my readers are very kind at this point. They don't care what I write. It doesn't matter. Whatever the story's about, that's good. They'll get, they'll get the next one because they recognize their own lives. Exactly. They, you know, they, they recognize the, where I'm talking about, who I'm talking about, the people that are, are there. And sometimes you don't understand things that are going on in your own life. You might not be able to write stuff down, but when you read it, you recognize it. So, you know, there's right people who write and people who don't, but then you've got to have the reader and the reader is there to say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is how I'm, you know, thinking this is it. And uh, I love that energy that's between the writer and a reader. Lovely. I think it's fantastic. I don't understand anyone saying that 
Why do you think people in the States would read your books? I mean, it's beyond <laughs> nonsense to me. Um, and seriously, I'm sorry. Um, and one of the things that you uh, said is that this particular book is an ode to the women in Cape uh, Breton. And tell me a little bit about the Homeville Women's Institute, because that is real. It's in the it's in the book and it's real. So tell us, I'd like for you to say um, what your thoughts are about it, because I think it's fantastic. Well, if you're since your podcast is about extraordinary women, this is a group of extraordinary women. Uh, uh, The the Women's Institute was um, was formed back in the 18 late 1800s by a woman uh, whose own child died from drinking unpasteurized milk. She was a farm uh, wife and she decided she, she didn't want that to happen to anybody else. And she realized that uh, rural women needed education and they needed to band together, you know, to make things happen. So that's how it started. Just looking after families, uh, looking after their children um, and, the Homeville Women's Institute has now been going strong for 70 years. It started in the early 50s in this, and we're just a very small little community. So to have something to be able to go for 70 years is a big deal. And this is what they did. I mean, I remember my grandmother, she was president one year. My mother who lived here briefly, she went to the Institute. I went to the Institute when I was a young wife and mother. Um, and it was back in the day in my grandmother's time, they, of course, all the women signed their name, their husband's names. Right? Mm-hmm. My, 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 my grandmother put Mrs. Kenzie McDonald as she would sign, as she was president, signing the minutes off. They only called each other by their husband's names, of course. And so I wanted to um, pay tribute to, to these women. And I put down their real names. Like I put down their first names. Um, and the thing is, everybody, and I used, there have been so many members, I didn't know who to include. So I decided to have a, a, a meeting in Bertha's house. And the people, I got the, a hold of the minute book from 1955. And the women that were in, who were members that year. And I put it down them down exactly as they were listed on the, um, the little roster. So I, those were the women's names that I put in. Now, when we, when I had a book launch here at our little local legion, 225 people showed up, Okay, (laughs) you know, in this little tiny place, right? Because everybody wanted to hear their mothers, their grandmothers, their great aunts names in that book. And they're so delighted that their names are in the book and they've, they've done charity. They do charity work. They, and, and I put it in the book, too, about how the Women's Institute got the little little community down in South Head. They didn't have power. The power company wouldn't come out. They didn't say, they said there weren't enough homes out there to have it. Well, the Women's Institute, that didn't sit right with them. Now, most of these women didn't drive themselves. You know, their husbands would drive them to the meeting or whatever. But they made this happen. They bugged and they bugged and they wrote and they had little petitions and they did whatever. They got power down to South Head Road and Wadden's Cove. And... I, I read the, the uh, letter that the community sent to the Women's Institute thanking them for their hard work because it was hard work. It took a couple of years before they were able to get power. So that's just, and these were just little women, you know, just ordinary women like Bertha 
you know, mind in their own business, but trying to make things better. And one of the things things to celebrate. Uh, one of the things that you did say about it is uh, these women combine their voices to get things done. Well, isn't isn't that what women do? <laughs> I do believe so. And that's the whole thing. You're giving voice to all of these women. You're telling stories that everyone can relate to, whether it's every single book or something in the book. There's something that women can relate to, uh, whether it's in a city or it's rural, whether it's in Montreal, Cape Breton, or any other place you put any of your stories, they're relatable. Exactly. And what's nice is that we're celebrating women for the things that they do, not how they look, how much they weigh, how much they, you know, you just get so overwhelmed with the, oh my gosh, I, I really don't think I would survive being a young woman today. Uh, but, but just to remind people that you don't have to be y'all and y'all, you don't have to live and, and have this exotic kind of life. Your life matters. It doesn't matter where you are and what you do. Your life matters if you let it. And I just love these women. I just, you know, they, they may be to the world, to an influencer. They had no influence. They, they, oh, they had big influence. Their voices. Yes. yes, Their voices are being heard. Give me a break. Um, (laughs) I, I just love it. And Leslie, I know that you're, you're on to book number 16. Now that comes out in June. So I have a lot of reading of your books to do, as I told you before then, um, I love the title, Death yes. and Other Incons- Inconveniences. Yeah, Death and Other Inconveniences. Now, let, the title will tell you that it's not serious. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny. And I'm not particularly talking about death, although the very first page is the man's obituary. So <laughs> this is how it starts. Um, but we're not going to know about him. His name is Dick. So. You oh, well, yeah, we don't want you to know, know about Dick. <laughs> we don't care about Dick. No, we but don't. What we, what we do care is about the life that you lead after someone go like to, death. I mean, maybe it's because I've had, we've had someone to death in this. Like I've, I've gone through a lot of loss. I know all about it. I, maybe I feel that I can make not fun of it because obviously no. not, but there are things when you, you lose somebody the things that are very inconvenient, like my husband, I think, again, he had just had heart surgery and, and he said, Les, if something happens to me, he said, you won't be able to turn on the remote. You won't be able to watch the TV because you don't know how it works. So that's an inconvenience. That's what I think. Oh my God. Yes, that's right. What do I do? I can't watch TV. I'm not going to get the snowblower going. I can't get the generator on. I don't. Oh, the I don't snowblower, have you call a guy. <laughs> Oh, really? No, you you should find out. Otherwise, you'll be like me when I had to do something for my grandson. And and when he was first born, the infant thing, I I put it on YouTube to to find out how to, you know, change the whatever. But snowblower, you call the guy. That's the only reason why I, I wrote this story. It's just because I did have a friend who lost her husband and she was clueless about everything and the stuff she had to go through. And it was funny, some of the stuff that she had to go through because her husband didn't make any kind of arrangements, but he really was a dick. And he he just, and so her life was completely uprooted 
So I think people will recognize some of the things that um, go on. Well, well, that's the thing. That's that sounds like a story that women will read and maybe open their mind to the fact of that. Yes, you know, we might have different roles, but guess what? Each one should learn something about the other one's role. I mean, you know, if if a man loses their spouse and they've never boiled water, I mean, come on. There's only so many places you can call, although like Uber Eats. It's very inconvenient. Very inconvenient. Yes, especially (laughs) that first day when you want, you know, a cup of coffee or something. Leslie, this has been absolutely fantastic. I think... Um, well, you're on your way to being a hit in America. I don't care what anyone says. It's, it, it, it's nonsense. I mean, Aww. you know, Montreal Thanks. is only eight hours away by car. And I don't know what Cape Breton is, but I bet you anything. It's not. It, it took her a couple of days. It's fine. These women, these characters are fantastic. Thanks. So Sylvia. where can people find out more about you? Okay. You just go on lesliecrew.com. And all of my books are there, all the titles, all the, the covers, a uh, little synopsis of all the stories. Um, and now I'm on Amazon.com. I always was on Amazon.ca. But now that I'm in the States, it's Amazon.com. Woo. And um, yeah, so just independent books, wherever you go, you, you can find me. Uh, the, the internet is, is really, really handy. You know? <laughs> yes, you just in those ways, it definitely is. <laughs> Yes, it's great. People, I think people will be able to find me. Leslie, I want to thank you so much for taking the time and introducing yourself to the American public. I mean, really, you've been hiding. I have lots. I have friends and family in the States and I just love visiting and uh, I'm really thrilled that maybe I'll get some new readers out of this. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. This has been a Life of Prey production.